ARE Study Guide Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the ARE Study Guide Podcast. Today, we are going to dive in to the AIA document C401-2017. This is the standard form of agreement between architect and consultant. Just a quick note, if I haven't already mentioned this, on our ARE exams, we are tested on the AIA contract documents. These are the standard forms of agreement, and they are very common in our professional practice, but they are not the only contracts. I say this just to note that the terms of the AIA documents are what we are learning for our test, but in real life, the terms of your contract may be very different. So you should always read the contract. And in this one, this is the actual agreement between the architect and consultant, but you should also read the contracts between the owner and the contractor and the owner and their consultant. You should understand what those terms are. It'll also help you know what your scope is and isn't. All right, so let's dive in. The first section of the C401 are the general provisions. And the general provisions say that Exhibit A of the Architect Consultant Agreement is going to be a copy of the Owner Architect Agreement. The Owner Architect Agreement is also going to be known as the Prime Agreement. So what that means is the architect is going to have a consultant, but they're only going to have a consultant because first they have a project with an owner. So their agreement with the owner, the architect owner agreement is the prime agreement. And then the architect consultant agreement is secondary to that agreement, which means things referenced or specified in the owner architect agreement will apply to the architect consultant agreement unless otherwise specified. So there's all sorts of things in this document that says the consultant must follow the same rules as the architect in this circumstance. For instance, the architect's level of standard of care, the consultant will have that same level of standard of care. We'll look more into that in a minute. In section one, the general provisions, it's going to tell you a description of the consultant's work and the portion of the work that the consultant is responsible for. The consultant is going to be responsible for their own means and methods, as well as their own errors and omissions. So that means that the architect is not responsible for the consultant's errors and omissions. The consultant shall not talk to the owner directly. The architect needs to serve as the middleman between the owner and the consultant. This is because the consultant and the owner have no contractual agreement. The contracts are with the owner and architect, and then there's another contract with the architect and consultant. Because the owner and consultant do not have a contract, they should not talk. Again, in real life, they might talk. But then you open up potential legal issues and liability issues. So contractually and technically, they shouldn't talk to avoid any confusing, sticky legal situations. If 
there will be marketing expenses or cost to procure a project. So say the consultant and the architect are pursuing a job together that hasn't been awarded. The costs for procuring that should be shared. And how those costs will be shared and distributed will be outlined in the agreement. The architect shall provide a full list of the other consultants they are using, and the consultant shall provide a full list of any subconsultants they will be using for this project. Section 2, Consultants' Responsibilities. The consultant's standard of care shall be the same standard of care as the architect's standard of care. So the typical standard of care says, the architect shall perform its services consistent with the professional skill and care ordinarily provided by architects practicing in the same or similar locality under the same or similar circumstances. The architect shall perform its services as expeditiously as is consistent with such professional skill and care and the orderly progress of the project. So that standard of care is specified in AIA document B101-2017. So owners may try to modify the standard of care to say something like they want the highest prevailing standards. So it's advisable to not modify the standard of care because the standard of care provides great liability protection for us. But if it has been modified and the architect should request uh, higher compensation for assuming more liability, if it has been modified, the consultant will be held to that same level of the standard of care. If a consultant needs a test done to fulfill their scope, they shall notify the architect This could be maybe for an engineer if they need to test something in the building. The consultant needs to tell the architect so that the architect can request that test from the owner. The consultant is responsible for coordinating with the architect and the architect's other consultants. The consultant is responsible for completing their work timely and not delaying the project schedule. The consultant is not liable for the architect or contractor's work, but if they notice any problems with their work, they are responsible for notifying the architect in writing of any issues that they notice. The consultant is responsible for their own insurance and providing copies of their insurance to the architect. Section 3, Scope of Consultant Services. The consultant is responsible for a specific portion of work that is outlined in the prime agreement. The architect shall direct the consultant for the phasing of their work, meaning the architect shall tell the consultant when certain components of the work are due. The consultant shall provide a specific number of site visits. Any additional site visits will be considered an additional service. Section 4, Additional Services. The consultant needs written authorization from the architect before performing additional services. If they do work without authorization, the architect is not obligated to pay them. Quick note, guys, I am only giving you some highlights from this agreement. This is not the full extent of the agreement. I am omitting many things that are repetitive from the other contract agreements. In general, these contracts have a lot of overlap with the requirements and the terms Um, For instance, we'll get there in a minute, but 
the process for claims and disputes being mediation first and then either litigation or arbitration that applies to all of these agreements. So I'm not going to repeat things that we've talked about with other agreements. So there is more to this agreement than I am outlining right now, but these are kind of the things that I think were notable as I read it. Of course, you should read this agreement yourself. All right, moving on. Section five, architect's responsibilities. The architect must make their decisions in a timely manner, and they cannot delay the consultant's work. The architect's representative cannot be changed without written approval from the consultant. The architect is responsible for providing information that the consultant needs in a timely manner, and this includes things like the layouts, the location of things, and calculations developed by others. If the consultant needs information, the architect is responsible for providing that information to the consultant in a timely manner. If another party requests information about the consultant's instruments of service, the architect shall talk to the consultant before issuing a response. So, for example, someone might have an RFI related to something that's related to the consultant's work. The architect can't just respond to that RFI. They need to ask the consultant about the issue before they issue the response. The architect shall share information about the project budget related to the consultant's scope with the consultant. So basically, the consultant needs to know the budget for their scope of work. Just like an architect has to design something within budget, the consultant needs to know how much money there is for the elements that they're designing so that they can make sure it's within budget. If the consultant wants information that is outside of their scope, the architect shall ask for copies for the consultant. This could be something like a site investigation or test results, maybe like soil conditions, but it might not apply to the consultant's scope specifically. But if the consultant wants that information, they shall ask the architect and the architect shall get that information for them. The architect isn't responsible for double-checking the consultant's work, but if they notice any errors in their documents, the architect is responsible for promptly notifying them. Section 6. Cost of work. The consultant is responsible for preparing a cost estimate for the work covered in their scope. If the work in the consultant's scope exceeds the owner's budget, the consultant shall tell the architect how the scope could be adjusted to fit within the budget. Just like with the architect, the consultant is responsible for designing their scope of work within the owner's budget. Section 7. Copyrights and Licenses The copyright and license permissions of the prime agreement apply to the consultant agreement. The consultant grants a non-exclusive license to their instruments of service developed solely for the project, unless otherwise stated in this agreement or the prime agreement. The architect cannot make changes to the consultant's instruments of service without permission from the consultant. This means you have a consultant, they do a drawing. You are not allowed to change that drawing without their permission. So let's say you have a lighting consultant, they do a lighting layout. You cannot change that drawing unless you get written permission from them first. Section 8. Claims and disputes. The consultant is liable for their own negligence and their errors and omissions. 
the consultant cannot hold the architect liable for the consultant's mistakes. Likewise, the consultant is not responsible for the architect's mistakes. If there's a claim and it's related to an architect owner dispute or it's an owner's mistake, the process for claims and disputes will follow the procedures of the prime agreement. But if it's something consultant related that's not an architect owner dispute or an owner's mistake, then the terms for resolving that claim can be outlined in this section of the agreement. Section 9, Termination or Suspension. If the architect preemptively terminates the agreement at no fault of the consultant, the architect shall pay the consultant a termination fee, and the amount of that termination fee will be established in this section of the contract. I asked an architect about this, and they said that they never have this in their agreement. Um, They omit it, but just know that is in there, that the consultant can require a fee if you want to preemptively terminate their agreement. If the architect wants to use the consultant's instruments of service after the termination of the agreement, they must pay the consultant a licensing fee. The amount for the licensing fee will be established in this section of the agreement. Section 10, Miscellaneous Provisions. The architect and the consultant are not responsible for any hazardous materials found on site. The architect and consultant must keep confidential and proprietary information private, and they may not share it with any other party unless they need to do so to perform their scope of services for the project. Section 11, Compensation. In this section, it'll tell you the amount that the consultant will be compensated for the basic services, the amount that they will be compensated for any additional services, the percent markup for the consultant's subconsultant fees. So any subconsultants that the consultant hires, uh, they will mark up the fees that the subconsultant charges, and that percent will be outlined right here. This section will provide the hourly billing rates for the consultant and their subconsultants, the percent markup that they will have for their reimbursable expenses. The architect shall pay the consultant for their services soon after the architect receives payment from the owner. The architect is responsible for applying a reasonable effort to receive payment from the owner. So the architect can't pay the consultant until they get paid by the owner, but they can't be lazy about getting payment from the owner. If the owner's not paying, they need to actively try to get that payment. Section 12 is special conditions, which are going to be terms that are unique to the agreement. And section 13 is the scope of the agreement. And this will outline the documents that are included with the agreement, which are going to be the agreement itself, the prime agreement between the owner and architect, and other exhibits. And then the architect and consultant will sign this agreement. And that's it. Not too bad, right? That is C401-2017, the architect-consultant agreement. Until next time.